Hello, funky listeners, and welcome to another episode of Funk Radio. This is your host, Kyle. And this is your host, Peter. Whenever you're talking, do I count as one of the funky listeners? I suppose, since you're listening to me to, to know when to talk, because I shut up. So when I'm talking, are you one of the funky listeners? Yes. We're, we're, it's like Schrodinger's box. We're always in a state of listening and funking. But you don't know which <laughs> is which. Alright. Well, I wasn't expecting that to be our intro today. <laughs> Deep philosophical constructs, yes. That's why we all listen to funk radio, because you never know what you're going to get. Funk yes. radio is like a box of chocolates. <laughs> so, for this episode... Similar to a previous episode we did a couple back, we wanted to have one that tied in uh, music sampling. Because Peter, you actually stumbled upon the fact that this fairly obscure Afro beat song from the early 70s has been sampled in like a crap load of music. So we mm-hmm. figured we'd use this as like the skeleton for our episode. Indeed. And um, to remind you people who, I don't know if, how often you listen... But yeah, it was only, I don't know, maybe two or three episodes back. Yeah. We talked about a little, um, I would say almost, well, maybe not quite as obscure um, hip-hop song from like way back before rap was even really a thing um, called Lottie Dottie by... Lottie Dottie. Who was that by? Uh, Slick Rick and something. And something fresh. And something fresh. DJ Quick Fresh? I don't know. I just remember Slick Rick. We're really good at facts. Yeah. But um, basically the deal with that was that it was like a really obscure rap song that, you know, over the course of the last 30 years or so, uh, lyrically has found its way into like dozens and dozens of songs. And um, so we found something kind of similar um, with Soul Mucosa this week. And um, so we thought it was kind of interesting. Yeah. What's funny is... With this song, we'll obviously play a clip, but this the the song is so far removed from anything that it's sampled in that it's almost funnier than our other episode, because the other episode at least was like an evolution of rap. This one is just... I don't even know. Probably everyone who ever sampled this was like, oh, that sounds cool. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. A lot of sampling does just happen because an artist likes a song and it seems to fit to some extent anyway true right i don't true. know do you want to do you want to tell us a little bit about soul Makosa, kyle and who it's by because i don't think we even have said that yet so yeah soul Makosa, for those of you that don't know which is pretty much everybody is a song released in 1972 by cameroon saxophonist and songwriter manu dibingo dibango right yeah what's funny is that this song is actually considered by many one of the first official kind of disco records which ties a little bit into last week because we were talking about like some of the first uh disco songs that came out and i i personally wouldn't really consider this disco to be disco as much as like afro funk or something Mm -hmm. um which just an aside like that's something like we really have not touched on at all in the show Mm -hmm. afro beat afro funk type of music i mean i think that was fairly large actually in the 70s but we just don't know much about it so we haven't because it's into it yeah it's kind of outside the u.s a bit 
What's funny, though, about this song and the way it kind of caught fire was mm. it was purchased by this guy, David Mancuso, um, who is a person. Sorry. Oh, I was actually reading a little bit about him. Okay. What's he, what does he do? Um, I was reading about in that he apparently was, he became pretty popular in the 70s in New York City for um, having basically private invite-only parties um so it's kind of a little bit different from the model of say nightclubs it's for more example. like exclusive yeah it's exclusive but in a slightly different way from like if you compare it to like studio 54 for example it was saying mm-hmm. it's exclusive in the sense that you can only attend by invite mm-hmm. um whereas something like studio 54 like they would make you wait outside and they would purposely only let in a few people just to like make it more popular because it would artificially create the sense that it was so popular that like no like barely anybody could get in, so everybody wanted to get in. Um, it's funny. It actually says here that Studio Fifty Four's exclusivity was inspired by David Mancuso's kind of oh, okay. extra, like overly, I guess tight, tight knit little group of mm. party goers. And that by ma- they that Studio Fifty Four realized by making something kind of off limits, it made it more popular because then people tried harder to get in. Exactly. Yeah, that was that, that was what I was trying to say a minute ago, but I'm not always good at words. Um, the words and the putting them together. So, so yeah, David Mancuso kind of did. I guess he was kind of one of the pioneers of that whole idea. And um, so they, I guess they technically technically weren't public parties or anything. Mm-hmm like that they were more private uh, anyway as you were trying to say before kyle um I, I think he was partly responsible for the popularity of the song because um he found a copy of this in a record store and then he started playing it at these private parties that he had mm-hmm. um and then you know people who went to these parties were like oh i've never heard this this is a cool song i'm gonna go buy it but since it was kind of obscure there weren't very many copies to buy so they disappeared pretty quickly yeah, and I guess what sprung up from the, you know, I guess disappearance of this album and how horribly obscure the original artist was that because of its rise to popularity very quickly, it says at least 23 different groups released cover versions of the song to capitalize on the demand for it. Oh, okay. So it's one of those things where it's like everyone knows the name of the song, hmm. but because the original artist was so obscure other people released oh this is i don't know some other guy's version of soul Makosa, but everyone's just like oh soul Makosa, and they grab it because they're like well some version of it is better than nothing exactly interesting so that's that's pretty funny it's almost like chinese knockoffs (laughs) (laughs) except they're american knockoffs of an african song yeah um anyway before we go any further maybe we should play a small clip of this just so uh, add a little bit of context to what we're talking about, maybe. Yeah, clip from Sol Mokosa. Um kind of the song that we're setting up right now in our discussion it's going to kind of be the the platform for everything else 
mm-hmm. that we discussed and all the other songs that we talk about. But uh, I hope you listeners got a little little taste for um, what that sounds like. I can take it. But yeah, that that song, it's funny that it, not only was it covered a ton to capitalize on its success, it was also sampled by many different artists, you know, for decades to come because mm-hmm. of its, like, intrinsic catchiness. Especially the little chorus with the... I can't even say it right. Mama ko, mama sa, mako, makosa. Yeah, we, I mean, in that... Do we know that what that means? Chanted, repeated chorus um, is basically kind of an adapted version of the title, so Makosa. Um, I don't actually know what Makosa means, but let's look it up. Live on air, listeners. Um, Live on air, we do research that we should have done before the show. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> no, I um, do that. I do that all the time. It's a noted Cameroonian popular urban musical style. Oh, so it's like Soul Makosa is like a combination of that style and soul, I suppose? It's strong electric bass rhythms and prominent brass. So it's basically the, song. the Cameroonian version of soul funk. I can dig it. More or less. I love Cameroons. I think I'm thinking of macaroons. Oops. <laughs> Don't you love when you confuse a country with a dessert? <laughs> happens all the time. I think probably the most uh, well-known song that that covers this and probably the one that if anyone does recognize the chorus of this song from anything it's going to be from um, Michael Jackson's Wanna Be Starting Something. Oh yeah. Very much so. Uh, from the Thriller album. And um it's it doesn't make a it's not a it's not that prominent I would say. I mean it is there and it's obviously you can hear the backing singers or whoever you know singing that chorus but it's not till the near till near the end of the song it's not like a major part of the song mm-hmm. but i think it was um recognizable enough that you know people pe- people can hear it and they can say okay i know somakosa it's in there mm-hmm. um or if they never heard it before and they hear somakosa later they're like hey i know that from that michael jackson song honestly i think that's where i heard it from when you first mentioned it to me i'm like oh isn't that a michael jackson song <laughs> But exactly, yeah, and, and like I said, I think most people know it from this. True, more or less. True, and it's very, yeah, it's very African. Now, I guess, kind of going off that, did you ever notice that in the eighties, like we were kind of obsessed with Africa? I, I've noticed bits and pieces of it. Yeah, obviously, in the music I wasn't around at the time. To yeah, know that yeah. Happened. But, like, if you look back on pop culture, like, there was the music, like, there were so many artists using, like, African influence, even, uh, shoot, what's his face? Who's the guy that did the, the soundtrack for Tarzan? Ah. You know oh, ta- you know what I'm talking Peter Gabriel? I thought it was Phil Collins. No, was it? I'm getting them mixed up. So which one? Because they were both part of Genesis. I think that's why I'm getting them mixed up. <laughs> So no, which one were you actually talking about? I'm then? thinking of Peter Gabriel. Okay, sorry. No, I was getting the two mixed up. Peter Gabriel has a lot of African influences in his stuff. Mm. Um, maybe Phil Collins does too, I don't know. Part of my argument was just remembering in the 80s we were obsessed with Africa because we had to save it from AIDS. You know, they had all those different uh, charity events. Uh, U2, well, there was We Are the World, which yeah, was exactly, for Africa. Exactly. U2 was very pro-Africa. Um, you had the apartheid in the 80s. 
So I think a lot of that spilled over into music. I just unfortunately can't remember which music. Oh yeah, and the band Toto. Remember oh yeah, the the planes down in Africa or whatever. That's like the most eighty song that ever existed. That's true. It's pro- so there you go. Okay, my argument has been reformed. <laughs> From Toto. Um, but yeah, it's just it's funny that in the eighties, like there was a lot of that influence, and then there was the you know with Michael Jackson, this song, despite being released in the early seventies. Helped also define the Africanization of music in the eighties. Solmakosa being in the early seventies, exactly. Just just to clarify, listeners. Not... Yeah, Solmakosa came out in the seventies, but influenced the Africanization of music in the eighties. I guess is what yeah. I'm getting at. Sorry, but I guess getting back to the song itself. Uh, Should we play a little? Yes, we've been talking about it for a few minutes. We have. Me. Let's do it. Let our listeners hear the reference and. Want to be starting something by Michael Jackson? Okay. Um, I actually do want to make a comment really quick. Yes. About the chorus. Um, something I noticed is that the way they say it between the original and this song is slightly different. And I've also noticed other songs that also reference this each kind of had their own slightly very different variation on it. Like the original Somakosa, it goes, um, Mamako, Mama Sa, Mako Makosa. Whereas in this one by Michael Jackson, they say, Mama say, Mama Sa, Mama Kosa. Huh. And I screwed that up. But if you listen to the two of them, like back to back to each other, they, they are a little, they, the way they say it, it's a little bit different. So I found that kind of interesting. I don't know if there's any real reason for that. I don't know. Um, Should we play them back to back so that listeners don't have to go through the trouble? Of... No, they can go through the trouble. Okay, so I don't have to. Yeah, uh, I can take it. But yeah, no, I I would imagine, especially if you don't know what the original context was, that over the years of sampling it, the mispro the, the mispronunciation would grow. You know. Yeah, and you know, part of it, and honestly, like me. Having heard it in many different songs, I don't notice the difference because they sound almost identical. Mm-hmm. But if you like look at the way they're spelled too, it's a bit different. But it's it's not a big deal; it's just a small little detail I wanted to touch on. And I guess it's sort of similar to uh, Lottie Dottie with the rap thing a few weeks ago. Mm-hmm. We noticed how over time, like the. In, in different songs, the, the lyrics of that slightly changed each time. Whenever, like, multiple songs would reference the same bit. That's true. I don't know. Just a little thing. Um, so, again, Michael Jackson's song, I think, was is easily the most popular reference to Soul Mucosa. Um And it was, honestly, was the only one that I was aware of before today. Yeah, um, when we were looking into it a little bit more, mm-hmm. um, but we, you know, learning that there was a whole, you know, long list of other songs that did as well, I found that kind of impressive, especially for something as kind of uh, obscure as the original song. You know, or just I would probably venture to say the second most popular is of of all the songs we have listed here is probably Will Smith getting jiggy with it. Would you say that? Yeah, I mean. In terms of how popular they are in themselves, probably, yeah. 
But in terms of like recognizability of the, ref- of the reference, maybe not. Correct. Yeah, because I was actually I was because I love the song. By the way, yeah, me too. Genji, just because it's really fun. Um, but wow, it's nineteen. That was from nineteen ninety eight. I thought it was a lot earlier than that. No, I it's... thought it was the nineties, but like early nineties. Mm-hmm. Maybe I didn't realize it was that late. That's funny. What was I going to say? Oh, I was listening to it again because I didn't actually. Because it's a song that I like, but I never really realized that that reference Solmokosa. So I was actually listening to it not that long ago. Mm-hmm. And there's basically just one line in the rap that he kind of just throws in. What's um, what's funny? Mama say mama sa or something. Yeah, what's funny about that is I actually just watched the video and that line is when he's in Egypt. <laughs> he's like pretending to be like an Egyptian guy. So it's just that oh. loose association of Africanism in Egypt and... I don't know if that was intentional or if that everybody was just knows like, Egypt and Cameroon. Exactly. Over, if it was just like, fuck it, I'm in Egypt now. <laughs> this yeah. video is so weird and so 90s. Oh my God. Yeah, it's good stuff. So, I mean, that's that's an example where, I mean, I guess it show. I think it shows that there's a, a, a more of a variety of how songs can take that influence and incorporate it into themselves in their own ways. Um, you know, whereas Michael Jackson takes the entire chorus and repeats it over and over mm-hmm. um, in a way that's pretty prominent near the end of his song. Um, this is just like a one-off, very quick line that I knew was in there, but I never really associated it with this song. And by the time you realize it's there, he's already gone on to talk about the Lakers or something <laughs> else. Love so, the Lakers. Well, they were good yeah. in the 90s, so... Uh, now they suck. Sorry, Lakers fans. Fun fact, listeners. Fun fact, the Lakers suck. I'm really getting hate mail for that watch. There's so many other things that we would be getting hate mail for. Touche. Um, <laughs> God, we should just make like a bloopers reel of just all the stupid shit we said throughout the episodes and just make like a It's called Funk episode. Radio. <laughs> this is the blooper reel. There is nothing mm, else. There is no re-edits. We do it live. You want the ball with your kid? Watch your step. You might fall trying to do what I did. Mama, uh, mama, uh, I'm a couple side in the middle of the club with the rubber dub. Uh, no love. I guess a little aside about the song that I thought was kind of interesting too was mm. separate from this whole mama ko mama sa mama 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 thing uh, is that <laughs> Will Smith actually said in an interview that his inspiration uh, for the song was to alter the meaning of the term jiggy or jigaboo because obviously that was a derogatory term for African Americans. Like an old timey term, right? Yeah, I, mean, like, I, don't, I don't know think anyone. People were using it by the 90s. <laughs> Pretty much if you use it, that probably means you're like 110 years old and racist. <laughs> I don't know anyone that even uses that anymore, but um, he wanted to basically like take back that that word if that makes any sense mm-hmm. so the literal meaning of the the title is like getting getting african american with it or getting black with it or whatever um because it's kind of supposed to reference the inherent rhythm that black people have so you know by getting african american with it you're adopting their sense of rhythm their superior sense of rhythm i suppose um and dance but just the concept of kind of taking co-opting that word and taking it back uh he meant it to be kind of a bit racially empowering like you know we're not going to let that word define us we're going to redefine it which is cool 
Good for him, I guess. Yeah, I like that. Will Smith is the Martin Luther King of the 90s. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's the first time anyone's ever said that. <laughs> I was going to say, I'm pretty sure even he would say no, no. Um, speaking of Will Smith, there's this... So I'm looking for um, a good ugly Christmas sweater for the holiday season. Mm-hmm. And there's one that I happen to stumble upon on uh, Amazon that I'm really tempted to buy because it's basically Will Smith from Fresh Prince in a Santa hat emblazoned on the entire front of the shirt and around him is just cassettes and like old 90s cell phones. Oh my god. <laughs> and it's green. And I'm like, I really, really want to get this shirt and have it be my ugly Christmas sweater. It's, wow, it sounds kind of amazing. It's pretty great. Um, maybe I'll post a link on the, what do you call it, the uh, Facebook page so your listeners can also purchase it for your own holiday pleasure. Buy them all before Kyle does, and then he has to think <laughs> of something else. Oh, you dick. No, it's okay. Not enough people listen to this for that to work. <laughs> they have more than five in stock. <laughs> yeah, I was just saying, it's like, oh, there's five left in stock, like... So the only five people that listen to Funk Radio buy it, and then I don't get it. <laughs> it's like, fuck. So the next song I want to talk about is much less popular than either of the two songs we'd heard before, but nevertheless references uh, Soul Makosa, is the song You See Me by Childish Gambino. I think we've mentioned him on this show before, just because he's a rapper, and he's a current rapper, and I like him. But I think he's. I think we've mentioned him in passing once or twice. Yeah, never. I don't think we've ever actually featured any songs of his that I can remember. Um, which is great because I love this song. Um, Peter yeah. always refers to this song as the "All Them Asian Girls" song because yeah. I believe that's and, one of the lyrics. Well, it is right near yeah. the beginning. Yeah, and Kyle used to. Whenever we would, I think actually when we would drive from. When our little group would drive from our apartment in college to the campus so that we could do the original funk radio, mm-hmm. you would always blast Childish Gambino when it was usually this song. Yeah, pretty much. So this song kind of became uh, notorious in it, our little group. It became the rallying cry for funk. <laughs> <laughs> so for those of you that don't know, Childish Gambino is the rapper moniker of actor um, Donald Glover, from who is from Community. He plays that guy. I never watched Community. I don't know any of the characters. Neither did I. I've never seen it. Um, oh no, actually, that's, I've seen one episode, and it was funny. Yeah, I think I've watched. I think I watched the episode where they had like a giant pillow fight. Or the pillow for it, and it was hilarious. Yeah. Oh, he plays Troy. Um, okay. Yeah, I Dan- think I feel like with Community, either people. Any given person has either seen the entire series and loves it, or they've never seen it. Probably. I don't, I've never heard of anyone in between. It's just happened. You know, oh, I watch it in passing. It's yeah. always either they like binged it, or they never saw it in one episode in their life. Exactly. So, Childish Gambino is the rapper name of this actor. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, he's done other things. He was part of the Derek Comedy Group, which I think... Was that you or oh, Ryan yeah. that started, like, really was into that for a while? Mm, they were they were one of the the few internet comedy groups from from the mid 2000s yeah that were pretty popular i forgot about i forgot he was part of them yeah yeah 
and he's also a comedian. He has a couple of uh, of good stand-up bits. I know there's one he has on, oh, yeah. on Netflix. I forget the name of it, but it's good. Anyway, so yeah, he has a, he came out with a rap album in like 2011 uh, called Camp. Before that, he released you know his rap singles and stuff that he did for free on like SoundCloud or Bandcamp or whatever. This was okay. the first album that he released that was actually like through a record label, so he made money off it. Um, and this song, "You See Me," is is just one of his many songs on the album that talks about you know his penchant for Asian girls, I suppose. Um, but yeah, uh, it's pretty obvious in most of his songs. <laughs> <laughs> What's funny is that, like, if you regarding the the album as a whole, a lot of it actually has to deal with kind of racial themes that aren't really talked about a lot and like cultural ostracism and like different expectations of race were like oh not only are there the expectations that black people put on or that i'm sorry that white people put on the black community that sometimes there's expectations that the black community has for itself good or bad mm. and if you don't fulfill those you're not quote black enough or something i can see that uh, and it, talk, it talks about, you know, him growing up with that because he never, you know, was super heavy into the black, into the same things that other black kids were into. And because of that, he was kind mm. of ostracized, you know, considered a, a nerd, a geek, whatever. And because... But he then he became a rapper. Because, exactly. Because he didn't fulfill, like, certain negative stereotypes. Mm. And he talks about that, and I always thought that was really interesting. That was a, an interesting perspective to hear some... Uh, a black person talk about basically feeling like they're letting down their black community by not fulfilling the negative stereotypes of that community. It's kind of a messed up, mm. it's kind of a messed up thing that like that even like is an argument that has to be made. But yeah, that's interesting. He like, talks about it in, in his songs. You mean? In, yeah. In certain, in certain ways talking about how, uh, he's, you know, in school, he was bullied because he wasn't black enough or he was bullied because he was, you know, geeky or socially awkward or whatever. Hmm. And you know that didn't that didn't live up to the expectations of you know black kids in poor areas at the time. Hmm. So kind of interesting, but um, so yeah, a lot well, of the I songs he showed all of us. Some of the songs in the album exactly deal with that, and then some of them are just about Asian girls, like this one. But yeah. he, in one of his rap lines, I think he basically just throws it in so he can rhyme something with it, but. He, yeah. uses, he uses the line like "mama ko mama kama kaso ma" or something. So, oh yeah, that's that's is another example of a slightly different variation of it because he says "mama sa mama kusa." Yeah. Oh no, he says "I'm a say mama sa mama kusa." That's how he says it. Instead, of, instead of "mama say," it's "I'm a say I'm a say." Shit. Yeah. It's kind of funny. Um, so yeah, we can we can play a little clip that uh, highlights that line, I suppose. But right. I love this song because it's just so ostentatious and like I love Asian girls, UCLA. <laughs> I love that he just drops UCLA like, oh, that's like the mecca of Asian students. Well, it is. It it, it really is. <laughs> So yeah, that's uh, You See Me by Childish Gambino. He's got some good rap stuff. Check him out. I like him better than most rap, yeah, at least current rap, I should say, because he doesn't talk about stupid shit. And if he does, it's funny because he's making fun of stupid shit. 
Has he only released that one album? Or... No, he has I thought a, he had more. He has a second album called uh, Because of the Internet that has some good stuff on it, too. Okay. But, yeah, that also references internet culture and, like, how stupid it is and stuff. So, um, good stuff. I'm going to briefly talk about two different songs because um, we don't have much to say about them. I'm just going to kind of bang them both out now. Bang them um, so I I listened to Don't Stop the Music by Rihanna, which is apparently another one of the more well-known songs um, that, that samples Soul Mucosa. And when I was listening to it, it, actually, it doesn't sample or whatever the original song. It actually samples the Michael Jackson cover of it. So that, that clip, that part of the chorus that's in the Michael Jackson song where they covered Soul Mucosa, Rihanna samples that rather than the actual original so you get kind of a mix. Sometimes people sample the original. Sometimes they cover it. Sometimes they sample a cover. The other one I wanted to touch on quickly is... Um, I, I didn't actually even see this one on the list, but you you, you picked it up, Kyle. It was Do It Good by Casey and the Sunshine Band. Uh, we actually talked about them extensively in our last episode. Mm-hmm. They were basically a really popular disco band from uh, uh, mid to late 70s in Florida. Pretty good stuff. Um, apparently, in one of their earliest songs from 73, um, Do It Good, which I've never heard. I had to go listen to it. Apparently, that samples it. And I don't think, actually, I, I miss speaking a little bit because I don't think it's technically a sample. I think they're covering piece of it of, of soul Makosa. Mm-hmm. um but they basically cover the horn version of the refrain from soul Makosa because there's kind of like there's the spoken bit of it but then there's also the musical half of it and i and do it good samples the musical part of it in i guess a in a in a break that's like halfway through the song or so I thought it was interesting to put it in because it, it, the sample was only a year after the original song, so it highlights mm. it highlights its popularity within the disco world that we kind of were talking about at the beginning of the episode. Yeah, that's true, actually. So I can. That's interesting. It. I didn't actually. Yeah, I didn't even think about the timeline there. Mm-hmm. Hmm. That's cool. For sure. Um, I guess we're kind of on to our last sample because all the other ones we found were kind of just like either it wasn't super obvious, it doesn't fit into our realm of our genre, or they're just artists we never heard of. Yeah, I, I do want to point out that the list of songs that either cover it or sample it or whatever, I mean, it's a good like 30 to 40 songs. So definitely we're not even touching, you know, we're only touching a small fraction of it. Mm-hmm. Um, we're kind of just cherry picking the artists or the songs that we at least somewhat are familiar with. So I, I don't want to say that, you know, Soul Makosa, oh, it was featured in these five songs. Because, I mean, it's it, it's reach is much longer than that. And, you know, f- consistently from 1973 until now. I mean, like every year there's been multiple songs that have referenced this. So I, I don't want to make it sound like it it's has less of a of an influence than it does i, I don't want to undersell it i guess just really quick i want to jump back to the rihanna thing only because i was reading here and there was apparently a lawsuit regarding that song 
Oh, I forgot I wanted to talk about that. Uh, yeah, I just want, I, I can just, just glaze over really quick. Um, but yeah, basically there was a lawsuit because her sample didn't sample Mama Cosa, but as you said, sampled the Michael Jackson version of the song, Want to Be Starting Something. So in February of 2009, DeBongo, the original song dude, filed a lawsuit against both Michael Jackson and Rihanna's, I guess, legal team, whatever, claiming that both songs stole their Mama Say, Mama Sa, Mama hook from his song, Sol Makosa, without permission. Um, and according to a French magazine called Agency France Presse, I totally butchered that, I'm sorry, Jackson admitted that he had borrowed the line and settled the case with DeBongo out of court. However, when Rihanna had asked Jackson in 2007 for permission to sample it, he had approved it without telling or contacting DeBongo. So, basi- so basi- basically, he didn't even have permission originally to use it. And, and then he, she's like, hey, can he, I do it? Exactly. And then he gave her permission, which he didn't have any right to do because he didn't, you know, originally do it himself. Hmm. So I guess the original singer DeBongo brought the case before the Parisian court demanding 500,000 euros in damages that should have been paid to him and his record label, blah, blah. Um, sounds like they settled it out of court. Yeah, right? it sounds like they settled that amount out of court, but it's just funny that it, it became this big confusing web of like, Jackson stole the song and didn't have permission for it, and then Rihanna wanted to sample Jackson's songs, you know, 30 years later, and then hmm. he's like, okay, this must have been right before he passed away too, because when did he die, 2009? Yeah, I was I was thinking that too when I was reading it because it must have not been too long before that. So it was uh, only about two years before. Yeah, yeah. Um, so just this whole web of like legal litigation, which we've talked in many different episodes about royalties and how all that crap works. It's very confusing. Um, but I, I don't know. I just I just thought that was an interesting tie-in. Yeah, it is. Yeah, we've talked about lawsuits a number of times. Um. And for you listeners who don't know how much 500,000 euros is, <laughs> it's 532,425 US dollars. Thank you, Peter, for doing the exchange rate. <laughs> They're pretty close. I don't even know why I, I said like, that. I was like, <laughs> I didn't realize the exchange rate was so close. I thought they their uh, euros were worth more than the dollar. Maybe I'm wrong. No, wait, that would be worth more. But I thought it was worth a lot more. They are worth more, but not by not by a, ton. a whole lot. Yeah, yeah, that's funny. <laughs> so yeah, there's there's a tie-in, I guess, between two songs we talked about. Um, jumping back to our last song that we want to talk about regarding the sampling of Soul Makosa, it was sampled in the song "Pump Your Fist" uh, by Cool Modi in 1989. I don't think we talked about Cool Modi. He's a uh, pretty prolific and influential rapper in the late in the basically the late 70s through the early 90s and he was actually one of the first rappers to ever win a grammy award and was the first rapper to ever perform at the grammys so that's pretty big because they didn't that's awesome they didn't even have like a rap what do you call it like category probably until like maybe the late 80s so that was a big deal it won't happen again funny thing that I wanted to mention about Cuomo D, again, totally separate from our 
you know, Solmakos a bit, but it's, just, it's funny nevertheless, mm. is he apparently had a very long-running feud with New York rapper LL Cool J, who I don't think we ever talked about in this show, but he does stuff mm. too. Um, what's funny is that along with other rappers, uh, Kumo D claimed that LL had stolen their rap styles without giving proper, like, respect or notation to them as, like, you know, the, I guess, grandfathers, the grandmasters, you could say, of rap. Um, because LL Cool J was going around saying, oh, I'm rap's new grandmaster, but he didn't, like, really give any credit or dues to those that came before him, like, you know, Kumo D, like Grandmaster Flash, Grandmaster Kaz, all that stuff. Um, so, because of this little feud they had going on, Kumo D challenged LL um, on his album How You Like Me Now, which, by the way, was platinum selling. Uh, he challenged him on the single, which is also the same title as the album How You Like Me Now. Kind of like just calling him out. Apparently, on the album cover as well, he kind of took a shot at Cool J by having a Jeep in the background that was running over one of L uh, L Cool J's signature Kangol hats. He always wore those uh, those kind of you know Kangol drivers, the one with the little kangaroo on the front. They're kind of a famous hat from the nineties. Oh yeah, I think my dad had one. Um. Hmm. So, yeah, on the album cover, it shows a Jeep running over his hat, kind of just like as, as an F.U. to L.O. Cool J. So, I don't know, I thought that was kind of funny. That would be a good, uh, that would actually be a pretty interesting episode later on, is Rap Feuds. Really uh, yeah, actually, as you were talking about that, I was thinking that would be funny to kind of pinpoint, like, rappers calling each other out. Oh, yeah, that so. happens all the time. Even just feuds in general, I'm sure it's happened before the days of rap. Yeah. That's, that'd be an interesting topic. We can save that one for later on. Well, actually, but, uh, um, when I was when I a while back when I was reading from Hip Hop Family Tree, and if you listeners don't remember, that was the like the comic book, I guess, that was basically about like the early history of hip hop, and there was a ton of feuds and stuff, even oh, in sure. like, the very early days. Because I mean, it kind of started just from like groups of people on the street. So obviously, there's going to be terri- There was a lot of territorial stuff as well going on. Uh, I don't know how violent it was. Honestly, I couldn't I couldn't say, but it was um they were pretty serious about it. Speaking of I guess those feuds, which really I watched this really interesting documentary that kind of ties into that about gangs in New York from the late 60s to mid 70s, which kind of kind of set the stage for a lot of this rap stuff, like even Grandmaster Flash and stuff. It was this uh this mm-hmm. documentary called Rubble Kings about in like you know in the Bronx and areas like that just these different gangs that popped up that literally like there was like a gang on every block and they all hated each other and there was these feuds and wars so everyone thinks you know gang problems oh that's you know gangs those started in the 90s and you know the LA riots and all that gangs were around since the 60s and probably even before that in the 50s Mm. it just wasn't black gangs but by the right. 50s, 60s and 70s, you know, gangs were becoming more minority, you know, blacks, Hispanics, Puerto Ricans, stuff like that. But it was a really interesting documentary that ties that into into the birth of rap music, actually. That was probably because you were talking about the timeline of that. I mean, I'm sure that had to do a lot with, I don't remember the name of it, but like the, the whole post-war thing where everyone kind of started moving into the, like the suburbs. White Flight. 
White flight, yeah. That's yeah, all the, all the white people left the cities, moved to the suburbs after the yeah. Vietnam War. Same thing happened after World War II. It just happened again after the Vietnam War. And right. that's kind of what, I don't want to say ghetto-fied, but it kind of, you know, it it created these minority enclaves in uh, in major cities like, you know, New York, like Florida, like Chicago. That I, I mean, led to this I, stuff. I, I, I would say that was probably a, a contributing factor to it, at least. Mm-hmm. So yeah, no, it's it's a good documentary, and it t- it definitely ties in with the kind of the birth of rap music as like a way that these gangs kind of started to express themselves, and you know, towards the end when they were trying to find peace and stuff, it's kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's called Robo Kings. I think it's on Netflix. I might be wrong. It was when I watched it. I don't know if it's still there. So yeah, they seem to change things fairly often. Yeah. So yeah, uh, good stuff. I think that is actually our last artist as well. Yeah, and and like we said, I mean, there's plenty, plenty more. Um, and you know, ev- even if they're artists that we don't necessarily really ever talk about or even have heard of, um, I, I guarantee that some of these other names would might you know strike a chord with some of you other listeners. So I think it's worth checking out. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's obviously resources online for you to find those things. Yeah. Resources that are much more thoroughly researched than us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um. So yeah, did I uh, did I ever tell you how I I I thought of this idea? By the way, no. Oh, uh, actually, the timing of it doesn't really make any sense now. But I originally heard about Solmacosa and the whole context of this in college. Um, I in college I took two different music classes. Um, and one of them I don't I think it was just I don't one of them was about music and film, and the other one was just this is the one I'm referring to i think it was just kind of like world cult music and world cultures or something mm-hmm. um i don't it was long enough ago where i don't really remember what we talked about but um one of like the i don't know if it, i guess it was it was an assignment it wasn't really a project um we each of us in the class had to come up with a mini miniature presentation of a song that takes cultural influence from two different cultures and mixes them together mm-hmm. Um, and one girl talked about, I think she talked about want to be starting something by Michael Jackson and talking about how he kind of mixed his own, like, you know, eighties pop style with this kind of more obscure, uh, you know, Afro pop, whatever you want to call it, mm-hmm. um, influence from Soul Mucosa. And at the time I thought that was kind of an interesting thing. And, you know, I don't. I think actually at the time, then I went and later I looked up Soul Coast and I thought it was cool. So I think I bookmarked it or something, but I haven't really thought about it since then. That was probably a good hmm, four years ago. Damn. If not more. That's um, funny. But yeah, I don't know. Every every so often I would see like in a listing of songs or something in Soul Mucosa and I would think of that again and then I would forget. Um, but I think that kind of that discussion we had a few weeks ago with the rap song kind of in, in the similar vein of this, I, th- I think it kind of jogged my memory of, of this. So I figured it was worth looking into. And here so, we made an episode out of it four years later. Thanks girl. I don't know. Who you were, <laughs> but <laughs> You inspired folk radio. Thanks random classmate. Yeah, that would, that you kind of sparked another episode ideas, just uh, different songs that, that, create i guess or are inspired by two different cultural 
I guess, <laughs> precursors. That's funny. I didn't even think of that as being an episode of this. But we it could might. think about that. Yeah, it could. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure there's plenty. Too bad I didn't. I don't have like everybody's presentations from that class. We could just steal all their ideas. <laughs> there you go. I like that. Oh gosh. Funny. Um, speaking of which, I actually just. Uh, another documentary I'm, I totally forget the name of it right now but it was on HBO I think it's a documentary I watched on the history of uh, Latin music it was actually pretty interesting too just talking about you know the rise of you know people like Carlos Santana in the 60s the huge explosion of Latin music in the 90s with like you know Ricky Martin Mark Anthony J-Lo and all those people and how big of an influence they've had in American culture since you know we're like I think they're the biggest minority now actually um I don't know, I, just I, more more interesting influence there. I think Latin music's influence on funk and maybe soul. I don't. I don't know as as much. Maybe more later. Well, look at Not, look at look at War. They're very Latin influenced. Yeah, I, I think there's something there too that I and I I know next to nothing about Latin music, so I think it would be interesting uh, yeah to yeah exactly expand it's, into that as well. They they've had such an influence on like funk and soul, but y- y- other than war, I can't really pinpoint anything. It's kind of sad. Um, mm. so I don't know. More stuff to think about. More funk to feed on. So, yeah. Um. So this has been, I guess, our episode on soul Makosa. Peter, do you want to do our little outro? <laughs> we just fade out to that. Just you saying that over and over. No. We're not going to do that because it's hard for me to say, especially even even if I'm reading straight from it, it's hard for me to do it. <laughs> it's hard for me to say without sounding like I'm gargling marbles. Exactly. Well, listeners, if you cared at all about anything we said today, tell us on Facebook at facebook.com slash get your funk. Or you could comment on one of our tracks on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash get your funk. You can also click the follow button there if you have an account. And anytime that we have a new episode, it'll pop up into your little SoundCloud stream. Then you can listen to us. Or if you'd rather follow us on, enough follow, what's the word? Uh, subscribe to us on iTunes. We're also on overmental.com, along with many other cool podcasts as well that does different things, not about obscure music. Um, <laughs> we're, but, on, we're on there with many other podcasts that are better than us. <laughs> I don't know. I think we're probably the best one. Yeah, we're pretty good. Yeah, we are. We're awesome. Yeah. Anyway. We should make shirts. Okay, well, (laughs) I don't know if anybody would buy them. (laughs) We should make candles that smell like funk. That would smell terrible. (laughs) It just smells like B.O. (laughs) Wasn't that like where the word funk originally came from? Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. so that would be a terrible candle. (laughs) (laughs) What does this candle smell like? It smells like old socks and ass sweat. Bye, listeners. I'm not going to say anything else.